in the same vein of snowmen's uh, diet, here's one. What do snowmen eat for dessert? Uh, frosted donut. Ice Krispies. Oh my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do not like that. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, ready? What do you call an elf that runs away from Santa's workshop? I don't know. A rebel without a clause. Oh my <laughs> God, these are groaners. Oh my God. These are all on Good Housekeeping's website. It says 86 funny Christmas jokes that are tremendously hilarious. <laughs> really liberal use of some words there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode, we will provide some highlights of news in the past month before going into a deep dive on the state of the water industry across all verticals, drinking water, wastewater, stormwater, residential, commercial, and industrial water. There has been a ton of policy movement on part of the EPA just this month. We are expecting more before the end of the year, and highlights include PFAS guidance for NPDES permitting, toxic release inventory proposals as it relates to PFAS, and toxic substances Control Act rule proposals in relation to PFAS. The agency also has been sharing reviews of its current programs, including a one-year retrospective on the infrastructure bill, a review of Clean Water Act compliance that resulted in 50% reduction in non-compliance since 2018, and a review of its efforts on the PFAS roadmap. Lastly, funding is being dispersed across the country in numerous buckets, so head to our websites for the details as we learn of them. But first, we are going to throw to Bob to talk about uh, the wastewater say the industry. Yeah, so this is probably going to be a good chunk of our episode today is talking about our state of the industry reports. Uh, Katie and I both conduct these surveys with our audiences on an annual basis to understand the industry industry a little bit more. In 2022, we saw a drop in respondents for what Water and Waste Digest survey. We had a total of 61 people respond to it this year. That being said, there's some interesting trends that I wanted to note. First of all, a vast majority of the folks on who responded to the survey are either government and corporate administrators or operations folks. They took up about 65% of the responses and 21% were engineering. 46% of the total respondents are 60 years old or older, where this is a decrease from last year's 50% of respondents in that same bucket and the and 2020s, 55% in that bucket. This indicates that there are some retirements and attrition that are starting to occur, which suggests to me that Gen X and millennial workers are starting to move into positions of purchasing authority. 70 years old and older had a 13% cohort last year, and this year that plummeted to 9%. So again, just furthering that indication that the older folks in the industry are beginning to retire and the younger folks are starting to move in. So that bell curve for age is starting to flatten out a little bit. On that note of workforce, while the ages are beginning to normalize, the years of experience graph was really, really interesting. 30 plus years of experience was the greatest cohort with 36%, but the lowest cohort was in fact 20 to 29 years of service. So everyone else was 19 years or less. That suggests to me that 
while there are some Gen X folks who are moving into those positions of authority, it's probably some of the younger Gen X folks and the older millennials who are kind of on that cusp of that that the generational gap that are starting to move into those positions. So really, we're starting to see that millennial workforce come into, into the, the main crux of the industry. Uh, on ter in terms of construction, 36% of respondents indicated they wanted to build new in the next 24 months, with 14% saying they wanted to do so in 36. For those of you trying to do the math, that's 50% saying they want to construct new, new plants in the next uh, 24 to 36 months. But as is usually the case, updating is the biggest thing. Nearly 56% said they wanted to upgrade in 24 months, with almost 15% saying they wanted to upgrade in 36 months. So a lot of movement there. I think the infrastructure bill is a big part of the reason why that's happening. And one of the notable things I wanted to mention here is that when indicating yes for either of these categories, whether it was upgrading or building new, a lot of the work was in the 24-month bucket, meaning that that long-term planning, that 36-month, three-year planning or more, is not as high on the register as trying to do stuff right now. And I'll talk a little bit about, about why I think that is later. Lastly, in terms of purchasing interest, pipe distribution systems, pumping equipment, sewer and collection systems, and sludge management were kings in the budgeted equipment expenses for the next 24 months. The other most hot, the other one that had the highest selected on that whole list was actually other. And while this year we didn't have a field to fill in what that other would be, historically Historically, that has been salaries and wages. So that's something I wanted to note there. As for budgeting, 95% said their budget increased from 2021 to 2022, and 65% say that they will expect an increase in 2023 as well, and 28% said that their 2023 budget will likely see no change. Now, the last thing here is the optimism is still super high. There are virtually no changes in the rating of the year 2022, nor was uh, 2022 compared to 2021. And most indicated was good, very good or excellent. And organizational health in 2022 was listed the same way. But notably was that looking at 2023, not a single respondent indicated they expected their organization to have poor health in the coming year. It's one of the highest uh, optimistic ratings I've seen in a really long time. But Katie, you had some news from the from Stormwater Survey as well as the WQP survey as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so similar to uh, wastewater, and I think this goes without saying, we saw a lot of overlap in across all of the surveys we did this year, right, of what were some of the biggest challenges and trends. Um, but uh, so on the stormwater side, let's dive into a little bit of the demographics. So this year we had 125 responses, 44%, um, which is the majority work in the municipal and government sector, and 40% are engineers. Um, the majority of respondents are age 60 to 69, that was 38.4%. Um, and the majority also served the municipal market, which tracks based on who completed the survey this year. Um, so in for 2022, the majority rated this year as good, which was really nice to see because in both 2021 and 2020, the majority of respondents um, said the year was just average. So we're seeing slightly more optimism for this year, and the majority also expect to rate 2023 as good as well. And, you know, in talking with different industry professionals for 
the state of the industry report that's going to come out in our January issue. You know, we're, we're you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic. A lot of projects that were paused in 2020 were happening in 2021 and 2022. And so there's this sense of, of optimism, but also, you know, the industry is well aware there are still some challenges. So that leads me into important topics and trends. Um, we left um, this question open-ended on the survey when we asked survey respondents, you know, what the most important topics and trends were. By far, though, the most common answers were flood control, specifically the need for resiliency, regulations, and stormwater management. So these are always pretty common answers, you know, between hurricane season and wildfire season. There's always a need for flood control. There's always a need for stormwater management. And I think from, you know, the beginning of this episode, obviously the EPA has been very busy. So we've seen a lot of regulation and funding news coming down, which just feeds into why that's such an important topic going forward. Um, for purchasing interests, similar to, to the wastewater audience, pipes and fittings were among the most common answers, along with erosion control. Um, and as always, best management practices were up there, um, especially with, you know, the constant aging infrastructure we have. Maintenance is always going to be important. Um, and the majority of respondents, so that was 49.6%, are planning new construction within 24 months, which is great to see. Um, as far as challenges within the next 24 months, I think, again, we've seen this across all the brands, regulations, staffing, funding, and material shortages. Um, so those are all things we're going to touch on in a little bit because that is those are common answers we saw across all of our audiences. So we will circle back shortly. Um, now for the water quality products audience, so our residential and commercial side, 40 people took the survey and the majority of those respondents were in are in the residential sector. They listed the most important topics for the coming year, 2023, as supply and demand, filtration equipment, and new product introductions. Um, so it's nice to see new product introductions there. I think we've talked about innovation recently, especially since the pandemic. So it's nice to see that coming down the pipeline for next year. Um, additionally, we asked this audience what the largest portion of their budget would go to in the next 24 months, and the vast majority said employee salaries and benefits. So we'll touch again on that when we talk about staffing um, and the same challenges, staffing, supply chain, economy, and funding. And when we asked if they plan to expand their operations in the next 24 months, the majority of respondents said no. So those were just quick little snapshots, but I think we're going to dive into all this a little bit more um, right now and, and bring Bob back into the discussion. Yeah, so while that's all of the data that we know from our audience responses, we also wanted to highlight things that we're seeing in our particular elements of the sector, whether it's regulations, workforce, funding, all of that, like how those kind of dovetail with the data that we have seen here. So first and foremost, I wanted to touch on regulations, especially with PFAS. I think this is probably the biggest talking point of the entire year in the municipal, in the municipal sphere. 
I think is a talking point on the residential side for water quality products as well, but definitely on the municipal side because that's where a lot of those regulatory things were happening. So I broke them down a little bit here. I'm going to try and go through them as quickly as I can, but it's going to take me a little bit of time here. First, we have drinking water. There were health advisory levels that were announced in June. These were historically low in the parts per trillion and presented utilities with a new challenge in communicating what this means for their water systems. That particular announcement to me was wind that fueled the flame of communications for utilities in the industry. It's been a growing area of focus over the past like three to five years, but this specific announcement I feel was a huge catalyst in saying, you need to have good communications right now because how else are you going to explain this to your customers? We are also anticipating a maximum contaminant level and maximum contaminant level goal to be issued on PFAS for drinking water systems. In October, EPA Water Assistant Administrator Radhika Fox told me the goal was to have this out by the end of the year. We are currently recording this on December 16th, and there has not been news of this at this time, but it may come by the time that this this podcast episode goes up. You can watch the full interview with Radhika on our YouTube channel, and we'll link it in the show notes below. As for wastewater, there were three core areas I wanted to touch on. One was the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, also known as CERCLA or the Superfund. Then we also have biosolids. And then the lastly, MPDES guidance, the National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System. So first, for CERCLA, Water Association submitted comments on the proposal from EPA to designate PFAS as hazardous substances under this act. The concern here is that the liability it place is placed on utilities, and it could effectively designate every water and wastewater utility as a Superfund site, although the language the EPA has provided says that they want to kind of go case by case on this, and it wouldn't necessarily work that way. There's still some uncertainty on that, but there was a lot of opposition in the language as it stands right now. And we have an entire article on our website, which you can check in our show notes to learn a little bit more about the exact nuances of those positions. Second, biosolids are a big piece of this conversation. The EPA is conducting research on the health impacts of PFAS in biosolids on the public. Additionally, there's still talk of how to destroy or dispose of PFAS-laden waste from wastewater utilities or from simply the process of removing them from drinking water treatment or wastewater treatment entirely. It's not really clear at this juncture what the regulations will look like in the future, but from a technology standpoint and from reading some studies and scholarly works, there are quite a few promising technologies that could answer this very question. It's just a matter of how that works with the regulatory frameworks that are going to be coming. Lastly, on National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System guidance, the EPA released a memo this month to states on how to use current NPDES permitting regulations to monitor for and permit agencies with PFAS in mind. It identifies exact methods for monitoring and answers some looming questions while we are awaiting future regulations. And speaking of which, there was a nugget in this memo that I thought was really interesting and worth noting that effluent limitation guidelines, which regulate the wastewater sector, there are revisions that are currently underway by the EPA Office of Water, and we expect those provisions to have PFAS provisions in them. So that's all the big stuff. And on that MPDES guidance, there was also some talk of stormwater. So I'm gonna pass it to Katie to kick us off with that. 
Yeah. So just briefly, the the memorandum that the you know EPA sent about this said it will align wastewater and stormwater NPDES permits and pre-treatment program implementation activities with the goals in the EPA's PFAS strategic roadmap. So further to that point, the EPA did send out um, a retrospective on the PFAS strategic roadmap. Um, so that, you know, it hit one year of progress in November and Bob already touched on quite a few of the points that, you know, that roadmap has already hit the, some milestones, but in addition, you know, they began distributing $10 billion in funding to address emerging contaminants under the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, you know, EPA is working on investments to clean up PFAS and other contaminants in water in small and disadvantaged communities. And they're also working to expand the scientific understanding of PFAS. Um, but back to this memo, you know, in the state of the industry survey, we asked our stormwater audience specifically what regulations will, you know, are going to be top of mind for them next year and beyond. And NPDES was listed quite a few times. And I can only imagine that this, you know, the, this advisory played into that a little bit. So definitely keep, keep up to date on our websites of, of how this is going to, going to impact those permits. Yeah. Well, I want to touch briefly on the residential commercial side of things as well for WQP and K Katie, we can, talk back and forth on this a little bit, but because yeah. you were just at Groundwater Week and that that's something I wanted to touch on too. But from a residential and commercial side, I often think about those private well owners and the water quality professionals who are trying to make their water safe to drink. And mm -hmm. when I think about this in terms of PFAS, there's like a huge concern there because depending on the whole, the whole biosolids element of land application and the impacts on public health there, how that leaches into the soil and potentially gets into groundwater that goes into a private well on the same property, I think that becomes a really complex problem that needs to be solved. And it's not really going to be solved at the municipal level because they're disconnected from it. So I think that this is a really interesting area where there's going to be probably a lot of play. And I think from a consumer perspective, there's going to be a lot of consumers who are going to want final barrier technologies in their home, even if they trust their water or wastewater system to be providing the services they need to provide. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, speaking of Groundwater Week, I was just there last week, December 6th or 8th in Las Vegas. Um, it was a great show. But and yeah, the, uh, quite a few professionals I talked with said that, you know, right now there's more information out there for consumers than kind of ever before in terms of drinking water and the quality of it. So, you know, residents are aware of of these contaminants, obviously not to the degree that, you know, those in the industry are or well owners are, but I also did go to quite a few sessions that were about PFAS and emerging contaminants and innovation. There was an artificial intelligence session too, that I went to. So there's definitely this movement and this trend towards these emerging contaminants, but also how to talk to residents because they're aware of it. They know it. And now they're becoming more concerned with the quality of their, of their drinking water. Yeah. And one of the other things to note, which I heard uh, about, there was the direct-to-consumer market is growing a lot bigger in that area it too. Is. So as opposed to always going to a water treatment professional or a water quality professional to get, for example, a reverse osmosis system under your mm -hmm. sink or in your basement or whatever, people are starting to buy direct from Amazon. They're starting to buy directly from these manufacturers and they're trying to reach those audiences as well. Um, so I thought that was particularly interesting. I don't know if you have anything to add on that, Katie. I don't, but yeah, definitely. And quite a few of the people I talked to, you know, about their products said this can go right to a consumer. They don't need to, to be distributed anywhere. They can go right to a consumer, which is 
it's kind of wild, right? Like it's a, it's a fairly new idea to the industry. I think it touches on maybe workforce in the industry, which I know we have on, uh, up on the, the list to talk about. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's, there seems to be a little bit more of a trend for direct to consumer. So it's something I, I plan to, uh, monitor closely for our residential uh, professional. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's especially <laughs> concerning probably for those water quality professionals. I think they, the market that they have to serve now is the testing of water and letting them know about, hey, this is what is in your water when it's coming out of your faucet and how that goes with the direct-to-consumer market as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's a lot of education that will need to happen from those water quality and water treatment dealers. And I think, too, from an association standpoint, you have WQA and NSF that both certify things. They need to be reaching these consumers to let them know which products actually are doing what they say they're doing and which ones are not tested and actually are not. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's definitely something to to keep a pulse on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a big market. It's a really interesting market, and I think regardless of how things shake out in the municipal arena with regulations and whatnot, there's that market and desire and need for point of use, point of entry is still going to be so important. There are so many people in the United States that are still on private well water. And there's so many people who, even if they're on a municipal tap, they still don't trust their water. And so they go for final barrier as a means to, to deal with that. Well, anyway, I want to touch lastly on on BABA. Actually, we have funding work that we'll talk about here as well. But <laughs> I wanted to talk about BABA, the Build America, Buy America. This has been an undercurrent to every conversation that I've had throughout the past year, um, even more, longer than that, because before that was the American Iron and Steel provisions, which required domestic preference. So for those of you unfamiliar with Build America, Buy America, with BABA, with American Iron and Steel, these are all domestic preference laws. This means that when federal funding is used, the federal government requires that a certain percentage of the equipment installed be domestically manufactured. So that means that the iron and steel has to be made here. It has to be manufactured here. The labor costs have to be here, yada, yada, yada. The intent of here of this is essentially to onshore and re or reshore technology and labor for U.S. infrastructure to be rebuilt. And the goal of this has not been a concern for industry professionals and experts. They all actually really like this goal. They think it's going to improve the economy. The concern here is that the timeline is too aggressive and that the methods are unclear because this went into effect May 14th of 2022, and there is still no official guidance from the EPA or the Made in America office on how to calculate what that percentage is. It's supposed to be, to my knowledge, 55%. But and there's three different buckets. There's construction equipment, there's manufactured equipment, and there's iron and steel products. Now, historically, everything has kind of either fallen into the construction equipment or the iron and steel products. And this new manufactured category is where a lot of the problems are arising because that relates more to things like blowers or controllers or uh, electrical cabinets with a ton of different components in them. And how do you calculate what is 55% domestically made from that. It creates a really big headwind in identifying whether you're compliant or not. I actually spoke with the Xylem Director for Government Affairs, Josh Mahan, earlier today specifically on this, and he said that that is kind of like the biggest question is they get this question a lot where 
is your equipment Baba compliant? And the answer is, while it should be simple, is super complicated and super complex because guidance doesn't exist yet. So there's a lot of concern here from the manufacturer side of things of trying to remain compliant with a, with the law because this is incorporated into the infrastructure bill, which means it's codified into law and must be followed. Um, in 2022, the EPA has issued a handful of waivers in a couple of different areas. There's some for SRF funding and for WIFIA funding for projects that have were initiated prior to the May 14th enactment date. There's also some uh, some waivers for small projects. There's also a de minimis waiver. So there's a certain small percentage of things for like basically nuts and bolts. So if your nuts and bolts are manufactured elsewhere, they don't necessarily have to be counted uh, against the domestic pre preference law. And there's also a six month adjustment period for non SRF or WIFIA funding. So fiscal year 2022 funding more or less is kind of unaffected by BABA, but looking at 2023 and 2024, the effect is going to occur unless the EPA makes some changes. Now, water officials and companies sent a letter in September to the EPA requesting a stay for 2023 and 2024 so that this would not go into effect or be really calculated start until starting in 2025 so that these manufacturers can spin up to this so that the infrastructure can be built around managing it, even administering it from an EPA perspective. So there's a lot of moving parts to this. And the way I'm looking at it at this exact moment is if there is not a delay in how or when this is going to be implemented, if we continue to not receive any guidance, there is going to be a major lull in infrastructure projects and disbursement of a disbursement of funding will happen but infrastructure projects will not be able to move forward because they don't know if they comply or not and that's going to be a huge problem that's i mentioned earlier the immediacy of doing projects in 24 months rather than 36 months or later this is why i think that's happening i think there's a lot of uncertainty in regards to BABA, that's making it difficult to plan out in three years because they don't know if equipment actually complies or not. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I feel like I haven't, you know, from the stormwater and water quality products side, haven't even heard that much about it. I think because there's this confusion and no one is really sure how to necessarily move forward. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's super complex, too. I, I don't want to like it's, boil this down. And I, I, this is definitely a boil down. It still had a lot of complexity to it. And it's even more complex than what I've mentioned here. And there's con constant talks on it uh, across the industry. I just really encourage you to look into this law, to research it, talk to some legal experts, talk to even manufacturers, work with agencies and technical assistance uh, people to learn a little bit more about this because this is going to impact every project you do moving forward. It's a literal law. It's on the books. Any federal dollar that goes into your project means that you have to comply with this. And it doesn't matter the scale of how much many dollars. It could be $1 and suddenly the whole project has to be BABA compliant. So really big deal. I highly encourage you to look into it. Um, Katie, I want to pass it to you to funding before we uh, close out the episode, because this is the other big, big trend for the year. Right. So funding. So in November, I think the biggest kind of funding news we've seen was the, you know, in November of 
this year, the EPA celebrated one year under the bipartisan infrastructure law. It was passed, I think the date was November 15th, 2021. And so the EPA has awarded 5.5 billion of the 14.1 billion available in fiscal year 2022 through grants, contracts, interagency agreements, and program implementation efforts, and will continue to build on this progress in the coming year. Um, and as I think Bob and I can both say, we've gotten an influx of press releases on funding, you know, being announced for different states, for state revolving loans, for WIFIA, for, you know, the the sewer overflow municipal grant program, just everything, you know, we've seen money start to be allocated and hopefully we start seeing it trickle down and in, in, into projects um, soon. So that, yeah. I would say that's the biggest, you know, funding we've funding news we have for this year. Yeah, I wanted to tag on to that quickly, too. I mentioned that interview I conducted with Radhika Fox, the mm -hmm. EPA Office of Water Assistant Administrator back at uh, that was during WEFTEC. And at the time that I talked to her, she was she said there were more than 30 state implementation plans that, that had been approved. So money is really starting to flow. I, I am seeing press releases and announcements from states on a weekly basis right now of talking about fiscal year 2022 funds. So like I said, those funds are not really impacted by this BABA thing quite as much because of the the waiver programs that are in place, but that money is starting to move. And I think as soon as EPA starts to see the wins there and they recognize that there's still this delay with BABA, there may be a lot of pressure to continue the, that momentum on dispersing the funds and making the infrastructure better rather than focusing entirely on the BABA thing. And maybe there will be some delays there, but we'll see. It's really up in the air. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously keep checking our websites. We will update, you know, everything that we can with different news that we get and we'll we'll be keeping tabs as well. But um, I mean, I think across all three surveys, SWS, WQP and WWD, you know, funding was was listed across all of them as, as an important topic. So obviously that's very telling. It's on everyone's mind. It's on our mind. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get some some positive news in the coming year. <laughs> Well, let's move on to our housekeeping and we can close out the episode. I hope that you've enjoyed everything that we've talked about so far. I hope this has been enlightening to you and has helped you learn a little bit more about the market forces happening in the industry and what our audiences are thinking about things and some of the things that we believe are having a major impact on those survey responses. So, But uh, to housekeeping, I'll kick it off with uh, WQP. Katie, would you like to take that? Yeah, so um, for WQP next year, Water Quality Products will be a digital-only publication. So uh, all of our, you know, our we our last print magazine was this past December's, which I hope you all enjoyed. But that being said, that content that you're so used to seeing in the print magazine, it's just going to be on the website. You can still access it. In fact, you can access even more with the digital shift. We're going to have weekly articles. I'm going to be doing um, videos. Obviously, the podcast will still be happening and we'll have daily news items. So you can get all the same information now just more conveniently online in real time. Um, and I will be the managing editor for WQP along with Stormwater Solutions next year. So I will be your uh, point of contact going forward. And I look forward to working with the, that audience more. So, Bob, you want to do WWD? 
Yeah, so change is also happening for WWD in 2023. Water and Waste Digest will be changing its name and focus to Wastewater Digest. With this change, I will be covering exclusively the municipal wastewater market with content that will more or less be the same intent, have the same intentions. It'll have a lot of the same voice and tone that you would expect from the content that we've provided over the years, albeit with that new focus on the wastewater side of things. Also, this month, I am publishing articles on our top projects and videos will video interviews on those projects will be coming next year. Be sure to check out the video page on our website for those videos as they are published. And as always, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel by navigating to www.youtube.com slash at symbol wastewater digest. And for Stormwater Solutions, also some changes. So um, Stormwater Solutions um, and Stormwater Magazine are going to merge into one next year and will be called Stormwater Solutions. So it's the same content you've always had from both those magazines now just in one place. Um, and we will we are working on a new website that will be stormwatersolutions.com. It's not quite ready yet. So for the time being, keep visiting eStormwater.com and stormh2o.com. And when those new sites are ready, those that you will be redirected to the uh, correct place. Um, so a lot of exciting things coming for our brands next year, and um, we're eager to have you tag along. So without further ado, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening and happy new year. Yeah, happy holidays and happy new year. Thank you for listening. 